Welcome everybody to uh, another installment of The Way It Is. And I'm your host, Luca Andalfato, here at Remax Service First Realty. And I am thankful and fortunate to reinvite uh, a, a former guest, uh, Hugh Lloyd Ellis. And uh, I thought it was timely to have uh, Hugh back on the program. Uh, he's a professor in the economics department at Queen's University. And uh, for those of you that that wouldn't have uh, uh, caught the first one, or, or um, and it's been a while since he's been on, uh, Hugh has over 25 years of uh, experience conducting academic research in a broad range of areas, uh, including economic development, uh, growth and uh, inequality, economic fluctuations, fiscal policy, and housing. Uh, his research is regularly pub- published in leading academic journals. Uh, Hugh has taken on several administrative roles, including department head and teaches development economic economics and macroeconomics at both the undergraduate and graduate level. He's also an academic economic advisor for Limestone Analytics, where he recently worked on projects related to international trade, food security, excuse me, food security in East Africa for the UASAID, uh, employment impacts of development interventions for the World Bank and economic impacts of COVID-19 in Ontario. So welcome back and thank you for being here, Hugh. No problem. I just want to point out that there's a typo I, I left in the bio there. It's, it's, it's just USAID. It's my fault. <laughs> I realized no, that. Well, okay, very good. So, so you know what? I probably misread it the first time I did it too. Then. <laughs> so, no, you didn't misread it. I just wrote it wrong. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being here. I love your background because it's actually in keeping with uh, the season now. We're finally getting some spring, uh, some spring weather, uh, which is yeah. great. Uh, and of course, uh, we were we were just chatting before we came live, and uh, a lot of a lot of economic balls in the air right now which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back. And I guess I I had a couple of just some bullet points and I want to start with the, uh, well, it's, it's, it's the elephant in every room uh, today. um, Inflation. Um, Help explain to us lay people what, where is it coming from? What's, what sort of do you think is its future and how do rising interest rates offset it, I guess, or combat it, if you want to sort of give us the sort of uh, macroeconomics for dummies, if you will? So, Okay, well, at the risk of repeating myself a little bit, but uh, just to remind you, I guess that we usually think of it as uh, being a combination of cost push and demand pull, right? So it's a supply and demand as usual. Um, but uh, then there's a lot of things that have happened in the last three or four years that have driven the cost side. We know that there's uh, still a lot of supply chain disruptions in the world um, globally. Um, and the, I guess now the, the war in uh, Ukraine is, is just making that all the, all the, you know, all the worse. Um, and that's still an ongoing part of this. Um, and so we see it's a global phenomenon. It's not just true in Canada. Um, and so this is, you know, in fact, in, in the U.S., it's probably even worse at the moment in terms of price inflation, overall price inflation. Now, added to that, of course, is the demand side, which is, uh, you know, largely in the last little while after the um, the downturn during uh, the COVID, the early part of COVID anyway, which, by the way, led to big declines in inflation, right? We had zero inflation for a few quarters there. Uh, and so there was a sort of a catch up and, th- and now we've gone beyond where we were, but, you know, um, so 
that that sort of delayed effect has has uh, been re a result of people basically putting off demand purchases, and now they're they're back back to to buying again. And then you know, combined with all of that has been all the increase in government expenditure, which was necessary to support people's incomes during the um, during the downturn, but it's still there. And uh, despite the um, the guardrail story that the uh, the, the federal uh, government has been telling about how how they would, you know, cut back expenditures once we got to back to full employment again, which we kind of are at close to it anyway. That hasn't really happened, and now we've got a lot of other reasons to spend more money. <laughs> so, so that's all uh, fueling inflation, um, and uh, it's fueling people's expectations of inflation in the future as well. I think. So, I. I I don't know the exact percentage we're at now, but we're we're like around just under five right now, aren't we? As far as inflationary percentage, I think goes. we're just under six actually. Oh, are we? Five okay, so there you go. The last so, quarter, yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I guess from an economic standpoint, I mean, you know, zero inflation, I think, is probably an exception to the rule as well. So where's sort of that comfortable normal level that inflation, I guess should sit at if it exists i guess is there is there sort of like a, a norm if you will well there's a target that the um the central bank of canada and other countries as well not just canada has typically aimed for which is around two percent um i mean in general having a little bit of inflation in this system is generally seen as an okay situation even though it kind of erodes the value of money, as long as it's stable and everybody's aware of it and it's, you know, people understand how it's going to affect their pensions in the future, et cetera. Um, as long as it's not too high and volatile, it's generally thought to be good to have a little bit of inflation, partly because it, because it bounces around that target. And if it gets negative, I guess a lot of, a lot of economists worry that when prices start to, or price inflation becomes negative, it kind of stops people from buying stuff because they're they're going to wait until it's cheaper <laughs> to buy them. So that kind of has a negative effect on demand. That's the worry. Um, so that so you, you, you kind of want to avoid situations of deflation by right. just having a little bit of a buffer. Now, I was listening to the CBC on the weekend. Um, it's a great program. Uh, I like it I, when I can catch it. Paul Haverschrud, I think it's the cost of living or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, it's very good, yeah. And they raised that the dreaded specter of stagflation um, because in that, I guess, from what I understood was if the economy didn't grow or the GDP didn't grow for so many quarters or something like that, maybe can you comment on that and what situation we're in, I guess, as a country or as far as, as, as those um, metrics go? So, Well, stagflation got its name from the, from the episode in the 1970s and early 80s in particular. And it's, it's basically a situation where um, you have high inflation, even though the economy is stumbling, it's like basically going through a recession, which usually doesn't, isn't, isn't expected to happen because it's when, you know, we're booming where inflation starts to creep in. Um, and so kind of what happened, I think what's hap happened in that period most people agree is that in response to the kind of oil price shock that happened at that time, central banks kind of uh, cut in, uh, interest rates quite 
quite a bit. They try, they try to. Um, and uh, that actually stimulated inflation. So you kind of, you know, when demand is high, you want to you wanna cut uh, raise interest rates. Sorry, when demand is low, you want to cut interest rates to stimulate demand. But when it's the supply side, when the costs of the economy are, are causing this recession, you don't really want to be doing that. And that's, so they, there's this view that uh, during that period, central banks in general kind of accommodated the situation and led to more inflation than was necessary in that period. So there's some notion that that's kind of what's happened recently as well, because, you know, it's the pandemic um, and the subsequent sort of global disruptions in the economy are kind of a supply side issue. At the same time, the government has been stoking up demand in various ways through expenditure and also a low, very low interest rates. And uh, in some sense, they're kind of creating the inflation, but partly in creating inflation through that during a period of relatively low growth. So it's a bit like stagflation in the 70s. It's not exactly the same, but it's, it has that flavor. Right. And so uh, given, you know, the crisis in Ukraine, which is exacerbating this even, you know, this this pretty entrenched supply chain issue, which even the, the pundits, you know, thought it would sort of uh, sort itself out as COVID started to end, but this obviously was another log on the fire because those supply chain issues are still very real. They're still very, um, they're, they're not, they're not um, alleviating themselves. How, how high could inflation get? Uh, and, and I guess in saying that, I mean, uh, I know next week, Macklin, uh, you know, uh, everybody's projecting that it's going to be a half point, half basis point increase in interest rates. Uh, what's the correlation there? How, how, how does the government react if, if, if inflation keeps, keeps rising and how high could inflation go, I guess? Well, like I say, it's, a, you know, by raising interest rates, the intent is to stifle demand a little bit, um, you know, partly on the, in the housing markets, but also in other areas, people, cost of borrowing goes up a little bit. Um, I mean, in my personal opinion, they should have been doing this already, right? So they're in a situation. Now, in some sense, their hands are tied, right? Because it's not, again, this is a global phenomenon. They can't really raise their interest rates much beyond what the U.S. is doing. Otherwise, they're going to create problems with the exchange rate and, you know, tr you know trade. Um, so th there's a limit to what they can do. They can go a little bit, but they can't go too far away from the U.S. So, I mean, in that respect, there's not much they can do, but yeah. from a global perspective, we should be, we should have been had, I believe we should have had the interest rates sort of gradually rising starting, you know, half a year ago. Yeah. Um, I think mean, they've kind of gone up a little bit, but now we're in a situation where the inflation starts to get built into the system. If people start to expect it getting built in, you know, if you think about, I mean, an example is, is that I, I go back to the housing market just because yep, <laughs> we've been talking that's what about we that do. before. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, inflation, if, if you expect inflation to continue at five or 6% and the interest rate, the mortgage rate, like discounted mortgage rates are like 2%, you know, you're being paid to buy a house essentially, right? Yeah. Yep. It's a negative real interest rate, right? Yeah. So it, it sort of depends what you expect is going to happen in the future, but that that's not, you know, and so it's it's true. It's just like it, it makes sense to borrow and spend right now. 
Um, and that's just going to fuel inflation even further. So that's the kind of problem if you don't put a kibosh on it. Yeah. How much, if you can comment, um, how much is the the labor shortage or, or the, the playing a role in, in all of this? I mean, that's, I'm, I'm going to guess just from where I sit, my brain goes to less, less quality labor. Cause I, I, I mean, all you have to do is, is look in, I mean, scroll on, on, you know, the social media feeds and on LinkedIn and everybody's saying, I'm now hiring, we're hiring, we're looking for new people. So, I mean, presumably then if they can't fill labor gaps, that's going to obviously force them to increase the price of their widgets or something like that based on increased wages for those that they have. Right. So that's what we'd expect. Yeah. So as, as that market gets tighter, wages are going to go up. And if people are expecting inflation as well in the future, they might expect they might want to require a higher wage to to, to either enter the, that market or shift from one job to another, and that could add to the the, the the inflationary spiral, as they call it. Yeah, this is the worry. Yeah, and I mean there was a, a an announcement today in, in because everybody's positioning themselves now for this June election in the province of course and the the Ford government is is uh putting re reinitiating everything they took out <laughs> they, when they first came into power so they're increasing the minimum wage now and and um they I was listen uh I had to I, 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 I was the recipient of a $460 check yesterday from the, from the, the provincial government for my two years of my license plate sticker that I had paid or whatever. So, um, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, cause, and I'm going to tie this into what I do real estate and, you know, because I, 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 you hear it every day that housing crisis, housing crisis and housing affordability. And like, that's, that's the, the, the issue, which, I won't get into that debate, but to me, people always say, well, what, you know, what's one of the, I mean, cause it's such a multifaceted problem and it's got so many layers to it, but increasing wages has to be one of the core principles of trying to help people afford more, more things, whether it's housing, whether it's cars, whether it's appliances, whether it's everything. And, 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 um, you know, we've talked about a living wage, but given what where where does canada sit as far as globally in terms of or or even kingston or ontario as far as wages are we competitive are we below what the global barometer so, so I, guess, is? I, I guess it depends i mean there's a distribution of wages right so it's it's you know if we're talking about affordability we are talking about the bottom of the distribution um of wages and then it's not really about competition globally or anything like that it's really about whether people can afford to to buy basics. Um, and I think relative to other places, for example, the US would do pretty well in that score, but um, there's still obviously still issues on the, especially on the housing side. Um, but on the, you know, on average or towards the top end of the distribution where, where I don't think we're that competitive. I mean, there's, uh, there's room to, uh, to be, you know, if, if, if that's what we're talking about, if we're talking about hiring the sort of skilled people from around the world, uh, to come to Canada, then that's, there's probably room to, uh, to be more competitive there in terms of wages. But I mean, I'm not sure that's the main issue in some respects. Um, you know, 
I think that you know the labor market is driven by supply and demand as usual, and uh, yeah, no, you know, that's, that's going to be what's going to drive wages. Even if there is some effort, you know, to keep wages at the bottom, you know, reasonable. Yeah. So, um. It, well, it, 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 because I, I want to tie it in if we can, and um, you know, mm-hmm. immigration is a big thing. And I, when I think we, we touched on it when we, when we spoke the first time, um, because you know, the, it was always the conversation around, is this a bubble? Is it going to collapse? Is this market going to, you know, what's, what's happening in the market? And, and, you know, just before we came on, we were chatting briefly and, and, you know, you asked, you know, everybody always asked how, what's happening in the housing market. Well, it's still, it's still pretty robust, uh, you know, but it, it's, it's shifting now. Right. I mean, uh, the good thing is we're in the time of year where there is more supply coming on, at least locally. Anyway, I'm, I'm assuming in most markets because it is the spring market, quote unquote, the time of year, April, May, June, when the majority of people, if they are going to migrate or sell homes or move to somewhere else, are that's when they're, the inclination is to do so. Um, but, you know, going back to what I think we talked about before was we still, we're still waiting for this flow of immigrants to come to, King, to Canada or to, you know, uh, both in a... Uh, professional sectors, but it, it just to fill all those other labor gaps, right? Uh, can you comment on what you see happening there or, or if you have any insight? Well, there were, I mean, there was a, del- a, de- a delay in the, in the process of, you know, processing migra- migrants during the COVID period, you know, worst of the COVID period. But my understanding is now that that's uh, a lot of people are starting, there's going to be an influx, <laughs> um, of people, but it's you know it's a target we've we've had for a while, um, and I don't think it's unexpected, right? So, mm-hmm. so I mean, ultimately, you, you go. The other thing to remember, of course, is there's also people going the other way, right? There are my you know there is my there's quite a lot of my migration to the U.S. from Canada, for example, right? So there's yeah. a bit of a balance there, but it's certainly true that you know we need more housing. <laughs> As a result of this, it's a, a balance we've got to achieve. I think we're in the last few years we've been on the uh, you know the wrong side of the balance in terms of supply. I mean, the supply has to keep up with that increasing growth. Um, and uh, but you know we should be getting there now. We st- are starting to get there, as you say. There's there's more inventory coming online. I think the next the budget, which is what, tomorrow, um, tomorrow yeah. should. Uh, should announce, make some further announcements on some of this stuff. I, I am guessing, um, you know, you know, to, to, to try. I guess they they have, they have a commitment for it to support more construction, um, you know, in various ways. So we'll see. Um, but that, I think that's uh, that's going to have a significant impact. What? Well, that that was my bullet point because I, I wanted to get yeah. your take on what what what. A, what would you like to see, and what do you foresee coming out of the out of tomorrow's budget? I know I've had some clients call me um, worried about this capital gains increase uh, potential, which certainly would I think be counterintuitive to helping the housing market. But and I'll I'll comment on that after. But yeah, if you would just the capital gains tax taxes. Yeah, yeah, there there was there's, yeah. there's a, I think there was a movement yeah. afoot or a threat that they would increase it to seventy five percent or right. something like I that, see. a threshold of seventy five percent for those selling uh, a, a second property, I guess, if you will, or, or whatnot. Right. So, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess yeah. There's a bunch of things that they 
are likely to introduce, I'm guessing. Well, that's one of them. I'm not sure. Yeah, you're right. I'm not sure <laughs> whether that's going to help or hinder. It's, well, it's not really going to help the <laughs> market that much. Um, and I think, you know, I feel like a lot, there's a lot of things that they're probably going to talk about. Uh, whether they'll actually implement them very quickly or not is always a question. So they talked about this, um, I guess, as I said, in, encouraging more, uh, encouraging local municipalities to, um, you know, allow more construction through, uh, through streamlining the approval process, I guess is the word that they're going to use. Um, and we sort of seen Ford as well has been trying to push that a little bit, although he backed off to some extent. And I, you know, you know, I, as a someone who lives in Kingston, uh, you know, in the neighborhood in Kingston, I can understand. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a NIMBY, right? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't want tower blocks and density, you know, high density right next door to me. But I also understand the, the need for it, right? So, and I think most people are in that boat. I think it's, you can't really bulldoze over people's um, preferences on this, right? It's, it's a process, right? You have to get people to yeah. buy in. Have to make the arguments. It's going to take a little while, and that's kind of always, always a tension in in, in the housing supply. I think, right? Um, you know, where do we put stuff, and how dense is it, and how how the, how it affects the neighborhoods, and we we can't ignore those people's voices in that, right? And so that makes it a very slow and difficult process, specifically. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's just the way it is. I mean, we're not Russia, we're not China, right? We can't just walk over people's desires right so, no no um, and, and yeah you're right it, yeah no no and, and so I, I guess you know what you where where do you fall in terms of other options or things to alleviate this housing crisis or a housing affordability from an economic standpoint or from where you sit what what what, what things have has no one thought of or the government not not introducing or maybe shouldn't be introducing do you have any thoughts on that um, well, I think a lot of the things actually that they talk about are kind of window dressing. I mean, uh, you know, the thing about foreign, you know, taxing foreign investment, I mean, it's kind of, you know, there's a scapegoat. I'm not sure there's anything there. Um, I guess it's the transparency of the buying process they talk about, uh, you know, people buying blind. We hear stories, but I, I mean, you probably know better than me, but I, I, my guess is that that's happens, but it's not that big a deal, I, but I don't know. So I guess there's a push to make it this process more transparent. But at the end, you know, at the end of the day, there's this. I think my belief is that there's a combination. The big things, the combination of the the process, which I can't really see, like I talked about before, of approval, can't really see speeding up that much. Maybe a bit, but that kind of constrains supply. We've got migration, as we talked about. Pushing uh, pushing demand, which is a, a positive trend, I think. But I think, as I've already said, just the big thing we've we've got is extremely low, even negative interest rates, and because of expect, you know real interest rates because of expected inflation, and so that creates. I mean, if we can't, if we don't raise interest rates soon and, and yeah. have a, a reasonable, you know timeline for growing them over time i don't i think we're going to continue to have these problems yeah you know because everything else is when if you think about it you know 2008 mortgage rates five-year mortgage rates were like six percent 
you know, discounted, you know, on average about 6%. Now they're two. That means every dollar yeah. you borrow, you know, is three times as cheap, right? Yeah. So if house prices had stayed the same, basically the cost of a mortgage would be third of what it was 10 years yeah. or 12 years ago or whatever. So it's not surprising prices have risen a lot, right? Um, in that way, um, you know, the, again, I'm not saying that it's, that offsets the, the dramatic rise in prices. It's still very expensive, but uh, a big part of that is because of interest rates. So, um, you know, unless you solve that problem, <laughs> yeah, all the rest of it is a little bit, uh, it's, I, I think it's small potatoes, right? Well, and and I appreciate you making those comments because and and you know here's and you know from where I sit because you know I, I you know you're, I'm in this every day and and because there's always right there's everybody all the different stakeholders have uh, are either positively affected or adversely affected or right I mean because a raise in interest rates uh, you know potentially yeah. penalizes somebody and and rewards someone else and yet you know. You're right because the the uh, the stress test is at five and a quarter percent or whatever. So presumably there's room for rates to get to there at the very least, right? right? So because that's what pe- that's what the the banks and everyone's already approving people at, and whether they choose to take and and now in talking with the the mortgage brokers that I work with, um, you know, you're right. You qualify for a fixed rate, but you're still going to take a variable rate because the variable rate is like at 1.99 or 2.10 or something like that, like you said. So it's, it's half of what, what you're getting approved for. So interesting, interesting thoughts. I still do believe though, um, the government has to participate in, in some form of housing supply line, like of increasing the supply chain, um, or the supply line of, of, of affordable housing in terms of, being an active participant with these developers, with, with landowners, with, um, to, cause it's not, it's one thing to make the process more streamlined, but at the end of the day, developers, everybody still has to realize a profit, right? Otherwise they're not going to, they're not going to do it. <laughs> so, so that's why I'm saying the government has to be some kind of participant in that process in order to either offset profit or compensate for profit in order to bring on, more housing. I, I don't know. That, that's just me sort of really sort of just no, I talking agree. about I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess my point about the streamlining was that it's, it's difficult to resolve them because it's, you know, it's a complex, it's a it's politics, right? It's local politics. It's, it's hard to just, just to go try to go around it. Right. So, so like you say, perhaps some kind of subsidization or, um, or, or maybe achieving a more general understanding of what is needed in terms of um, supply. That, that we, ha- I mean, I think in Kingston we we are seeing a big growth in supply, um, yeah. and so I guess one desire was is to make that more affordable. Uh, of course, that's always a difficult issue, right? I mean, uh, building you know people, there isn't a lot of profit for us for um, the developers to build low cheap housing basically and so that's where we could see some um some subsidization i think is 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 one way to go 
Well, exactly. I mean, and, and, and again, it all stems back to this supply side issue because uh, materials and everything have, I mean, what, they've gone up, what, 40, 50 percent, in, in depending if you're buying a piece of plywood or a piece of lumber or um, windows or doors or, or whatever it is, right? All of those materials that, that, that builders need to, to put these homes together. I mean, the other side of it too, though, and, and that's where Kingston, you know, it's a double-edged sword because we benefit is this migration though of all these buyers from the other centers i mean we've had this massive migration of of buyers uh from the gta massive i mean at one point there i i didn't you know i'd I'd have to actually dig deep and do the stats but i I dare say it was five out of ten or six out of ten buyers was was an out-of-town buyer you know during the last quarter Uh, well, and, and, and you see it because they're being represented by out-of-town agents, right? I mean, uh, right. these agents, are they, they can't compete in their own marketplace. The buyers can't buy in their own marketplaces. So places like Kingston, even Belleville now has is, is become popular or, or, you know, places further afield, right? Um, yeah. Right. Anyway, I mean... Which will then put more, more pressure on the rental market too, ultimately. Right. The rental market. And that's, and you know, and that's just my, again, my pet peeve if they raise this capital gains thing, because that's going to force, that's going to take inventory out of the marketplace. Because if you're an investor and you've got a, you've got a secondary property and you're thinking, well, maybe I'll cash it out now. Now you're going to think twice. Now you're going to keep it in inventory. And now it's not going to become available for someone to buy, to either move in or occupy or, or what have you. Right. So anyway, all right. Well, listen, we won't solve all of the world's problems today, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) We had a good try, though. <laughs> we did have a good try, and I, I want to thank you again for coming. And um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll stay in touch, and and we'll see how the budget goes tomorrow, and uh, we'll see where interest rates go because uh, Macklin is probably definitely feeling a little uncomfortable under his shirt collar. I have to say these days, uh, but uh, but like you said, maybe he'll. Uh, I, I guess he's got to face the reality that interest rates has to be have to be uh, you know going where they need to go right so yeah and unfortunately it's a reality we're all going to have to face at some point and uh yeah it's going to be it is going to be costly so i think it might end up creating a recession right but uh you know they've kind of left it a bit late yeah <laughs> if they've done enough. it more gradually i think it may not have been such a problem but anyway that's you know hindsight is 2020 uh yeah yep. hindsight is 2020 yeah <laughs> absolutely yes it is always well listen Hugh thank you so much I really appreciate it Uh, and uh, yeah take care of yourself enjoy this great spring weather while we have it and um, yeah and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk again to see where where the needle falls next time so thanks a lot Luca have a good day you're very welcome take care Mm -hmm.